I'm Lydia, one of the uh, new curates here, as Nicola mentioned. And this morning we are looking at one of Paul's letters uh, to the church in Corinth and how he speaks of a transformed life by God's grace. And much of what I'm talking about today is actually taken from this book by Timothy Keller called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And perhaps you might want to look at these uh, together in your small groups or growth groups during the week. There are some on sale at the back of church. But before I begin, let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we pray that our ears would be attentive to hear what you have to say to us today. God, may it not be my words, but your words that we seek today. Amen. Now, I wonder how you would describe yourself, perhaps if you're explaining to someone who doesn't know you, or maybe in a job interview, maybe you've had one of these experiences before. What might you say if you were describing yourself would you talk about your best attributes, those achievements that you have had, or perhaps who you're friends with if they're in high places as well? Maybe you might even say what church you, you go to. How would you describe yourself? Maybe it might change depending on who you are talking to as well. For some, maybe you're likely, and it's quite easy, to speak highly of yourself, to speak of all your achievements, or perhaps for some, actually, that's a struggle, and you're more likely to talk about your failures or what you aren't able to do. I can find that I often fall into either of these states, depending on who I'm talking to or even depending on what mood I'm in. I wonder if you relate to either of these the truth is, we can get so caught up in, um, in how we come across to others, um, which actually is a, a natural state to be in, where we're created to be in relationship. So naturally, our desire is to be liked, is to be approved of. But how do we go about this natural state of longing to belong? The background uh, context for the church in Corinth is that they had heard and accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, and they had received the Holy Spirit. Paul and Cephas and Apollos and others had come and, and shared the gospel of the good news of Jesus to them, and they had received it. And yet, they were forgetting who was the ultimate ruler and judge of their lives. They were divided over claiming that one leader is greater than the other. I'm associated to Paul, who's greater than Cephas, or I'm associated to Cephas, who's better than Apollos. They were stuck in a matter of pride and boasting that my faith is better and of greater value than yours because I belong to Paul, for example. 
But Paul speaks against this prideful, boastful behavior of associating to a human leader. I love his remark, says, ultimately, don't boast because it's all yours anyway, through Christ, from God. There's no need to boast in things of the world because Christ has given you all that you need. You already belong because of Jesus. He secures your identity. For Corinth, they knew this, but kept falling back into the pattern of worldly behavior, finding affirmation somewhere else. This can often come today for us as a sense of self-esteem, whether you have a high self-esteem or whether perhaps it's low. I've got a uh, bit of an illustration, excuse the playfulness, but I quite find visual aids helpful to think of a concept. So, um, if you imagine that um, this perhaps is one of us, is is you maybe, this balloon, and uh, sometimes we find ourselves with a high self-esteem In other words, uh, we might be quite good at speaking well of ourselves or puffing ourselves up. Perhaps society tells us that we need to be confident in who we are. Apparently, um, I don't know if you've heard of Generation X and Y. They're apparently meant to be the more confident generation of speaking up about who they are. The millennials, in other words. So imagine this is... Uh, You, perhaps, you are this balloon, and you are someone who speaks highly of yourself, who, that's quite an easy thing to do. Maybe in an interview situation, you wish there was more time to speak of all of your um, good things, your achievements, all of the wisdom and knowledge that you have. Maybe you've gone to the best university. Or maybe you've got a really good, high-paying job. Or maybe you were really popular at sports when you were younger. Well, this is all very well and good, and looks pretty good on the outside. But maybe for others of us, we have a bit more of a a low self-esteem. Maybe you're the kind of person to think less of yourself. Perhaps you compare yourself to others and think, gosh, I'm actually not as good as them. Or maybe you try and puff yourself up, but actually nothing is going to quite satisfy. Nothing's going to quite feel as good as you wish it did. Or perhaps even there's a sense of actually, I'll never be as good as them, so I just won't try. Now, for, for me, um, my story is that um, I can fall into either of these categories. But, um, I wonder if you've heard of love languages, which is a, a way of uh, showing that you, you're feeling appreciated or loved. You might have heard of these. Or for some, it might be um, having gifts, which is a way of feeling uh, loved or maybe physical contact. Well, for, for me, often it's uh, words of affirmation is one way that I feel appreciated, that I feel valued. 
especially so if someone speaks uh, out the good in me, speaks out what I'm, um, I'm good at or what they see in me. And this can be great, especially being a part of a wonderful community, maybe in the church, where people are often encouraging one another. And it can be great. And on the surface, or perhaps sometimes it's not a bad thing at all. But sometimes I can feel trapped in this need to be wanted and valued by others. This needs to be appreciated. And I can often end up being so focused on trying to please people or impress them. But actually, what others think of me is is not in my control, and it doesn't need to hold me or bind me. Therefore, this desire I have to be needed, to be loved, will actually never be fulfilled. It will never quite satisfy. Or even if others speak well of me, I might not actually believe that in myself. I might not be speaking that over myself. I can be my own worst critic. So this desire for human affirmation never quite satisfies. It never quite stays inflated. So as much as we try to fill ourselves with worldly worth, um, we will never quite be satisfied. Might take some time as well. (laughs) Eventually those things will fade away. They will be deflated. Or even there are other times where actually the rubber hits the road. Difficult times happen. Perhaps there's been a relationship breakup, fallout. Or perhaps there's been a loss for a person or for a job. What happens when actually what we have doesn't hold firm when the hard times hit? What will happen? Will we be able to stand firm? Or will we deflate? In the passage, Paul gives his perspective on how he is not bound by what others think of him. He has no care for what they might say or who they might associate themselves with. He doesn't fill himself up with the needs of the world. Now, this isn't Paul being dismissive or having no care for anything. He does. Paul has no need or care for what the world might think because his focus, his desire, is on what lasts. Essentially, in verse 4, he says that... um, It's the Lord who is my judge. He is the ruler of my life. He is the one I seek to please. And he is the one who has already satisfied. You you could describe the church in Corinth a bit like um, playing in like really murky, muddy water when actually they've got the beautiful ocean right on their doorstep. Why would you play in the muddy water? Why would you look for worldly affirmation when actually God has already done it 
He has made the waters clean. You see, when we allow God to be our judge, the one who is full of grace, he fills us with his spirit to lead us and to guide us. You see, I've got a uh, different kind of balloon. Now, this is filled with not air, but um, pretty heavy stuff. It's filled with things that will last, that won't just deflate, that won't pop. See, Jesus fills us with his spirit. He gives us uh, hope for his kingdom to come fully on earth as we hear it is in heaven. Having God as the righteous judge means that we don't need to puff ourselves up. This balloon might not look as big as the other one did. It might not look quite as impressive. But actually, that doesn't matter because what's on the inside is solid. It will last. We may not look as impressive as the next person, but it says in uh, Corinthians a bit earlier in, from the passage that we had read, the wisdom of the world is foolish in God's sight. It's backwards, it's upside down. But what's on the inside, what we seek after is what lasts. We don't need somebody else to tell us what to be. We don't need to impress. We don't need to justify who we are. Jesus has already gone before us to justify us before God. The jury's out. Jesus has gone on trial for us, for everyone, so that all might know and accept the loving act Jesus has done for us, so that we can be filled with an everlasting wholeness, so that our identity can be secure. And now because Jesus has done it, the, the chains are broken, essentially, the chains that of the things that maybe bind us that we might be tempted to fall into, like I might be tempted to fall into desiring other people's affirmation. But Jesus has broken those chains. He has already spoken goodness over us. So our action, what we do here on earth, is in response to the verdict. Often, uh, we hear that actually with a jury, essentially, it's, uh, the verdict is in response to what has happened. But Jesus has already done it. Paul lives in response to what Jesus has done, not swayed by what the world tells him. We might even think this subconsciously, that we're trying to please others, that we're seeking their judgment. But God is the judge. God has already done it. So how might we live in response to what God has already done? So as I uh, draw this to a close, 
I wonder if there might be an area in your life in which you might be tempted to fill yourself up or to desire affirmation from others, a need for something of the world. When we essentially forget what Jesus has already done. I know I can. (laughs) Maybe it's to impress someone at work or try to keep up with the neighbors or even seeking approval from a family member. We all do it from time to time. But when we've accepted Jesus, yes, we might forget these things from time to time, but essentially what's already inside, we can come back to. We can come back to what God has already done. We can seek him as judge, as lover of your life. God knows what goes on in the public and in the private. And yet he has already done it for you. I wonder what it might look for you to have that one thing, perhaps, that you were thinking of, that maybe you are tempted to look for worldly affirmation. What would it look like for Jesus to be the ruler of that situation? What would it look like? Perhaps you might be thinking of a a conversation with a specific person, or maybe just a force of habit that you find yourself in. I'm going to pray to close, but you might want to take some time to pray yourself, to ask God to reveal whatever that might be for you, and maybe to ask God to fill you again with that everlasting wholeness, that everlasting love, that he has already done it, so we don't need to seek affirmation from anyone else. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you have gone before us. And Lord, we're sorry when we forget that sometimes. We're sorry when we fall into the habit of seeking worldly affirmation. And God, will you fill us again with your spirit? Will you affirm us again with a love that lasts? And Lord, will you lead us to live out of your grace for your love for the world? Show us, Lord how we can love like you have already loved.